Hey there. It's so great to have you here with us today. One Chapel is a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area, and we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about the things God is doing in this community and how to get involved at onechapel.com. I hope you enjoy this week's message from our Who Am I series. Exodus 3, verse 10 was where we're going to begin. It's God told Moses, God speaking here, it says, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it, it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt, people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers who has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Everybody say, who am I? The question really matters. Sometimes we don't realize how much. It's one of the most difficult questions to ask in our lives. You know, the fact is that we start out in life, and at the very beginning, we're, we're being measured and we're being evaluated. Uh, when, when you have a child, um, before you even get out of the hospital, they do these APGAR tests. You know what these are? These are little APGAR tests. Here's a description. It's a number arrived at by scoring uh, heart rate and... Um, respiratory effort, muscle tone, skin color, uh, and other responses, all receiving a score of zero or one or two. So right out of the womb, you start being evaluated. And a perfect score of 10 on an infant is, means it's, it's the best possible condition. And all of a sudden, you know, the dad in the waiting room is thinking about how his child did on the EPGAR test. It's like, uh, was my kid better than everybody else in the, in the birthing nursery? And you know what I'm talking about, parents, right? You're like, mm, was, was my kid okay? How does it go? How, did, how is he measuring up? And they go to their first doctor's appointment, and there's all sorts of statistical analysis that happens with a kid. And the doctor comes in and says, your child is in the 99th percentile. Is that good, 99th? Or is, he, is it 99th? Is that good? Or is it 1%? What is it? What is it? How does this work? And uh, it must be the size of your child's head. It's huge. It's awesome. You're like, you can be proud. Dad's like, I got that from me. And they, they start going to school and they start being evaluated how well they're doing in their reading and their writing. And, and we get these report cards. And all throughout school, we get evaluations and assessments. And then we hit our teenage years. Oh, hard to deal with what happens as a teenager. I, I really wouldn't want to go back. And if you're a teenager sitting here this morning, I just want to acknowledge to you, sometimes it is a challenging season in your life to define who you really are. And you start comparing yourself to others. You start comparing yourself to what the world says you are. There's all kinds of ideas out there. And all through high school, there's this process. It goes into hyperdrive because the, the, the hormonal system is, is ramping up. And there's all these things that we think about ourselves. And sometimes as a teenager, you can get stuck 
in a way of thinking about yourself that lasts years and years. I want to acknowledge that that is very real. And some of you even sitting here today that are ad adults and you've been wrestling with something that happened in your teenage years. Social media has only accentuated the problem, right? The comparison, the evaluation. It doesn't stop in our childhood. We all do evaluate ourselves every day. There's, there's a statistic that I think is interesting as I was preparing for this message. And the statistics is that men look in the mirror 23 times a day. 23 times a day, men look. Now, women only look in the mirror 16 times a day. It's really interesting because I, I kind of grew up uh, with boys, and, and, and then I, I had a bunch of boys. I had four boys, and then so only two girls in my house. But my, just my snapshot of the, of the process is it might, these statistics might be true. Um, boys and men look more often, but <laughs> girls and women stay longer when they look. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't know, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's like they're fixing their flaws, you know, like, like, like women are more in touch with like all these pieces where men and boys are kind of like, they're looking and they're like, yeah, <laughs> I got it. And as you get older, it's weird because men, they just, they're, they're this whole process with men and they, get, they, can, they can gain 50 pounds. I don't know if you realize this, but as you get older, less hair here, more hair everywhere else. And it's like the, 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 the guy's still looking in the mirror several times a day. Still got it. <laughs> Always kind of sucking in, like, like ignoring the extra poundage. And, and I don't know what this is about guys. There's something wrong with their brain or something. I don't know. But, but there, whether you're, and I don't know if this statistic is really true. I've, I've heard that 46% of all statistics are made up on the spot. So it's, it's, like, it's like whether you're male or female, whether you're male or female, all of us are constantly undergoing a, a sort of measurement, evaluation, self-analysis. And there's nothing wrong. Let me just say this right up front, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of evaluation. There's nothing wrong inherently with an assessment. The problem, though, is if we don't understand God's perspective of our lives, if we don't discover who God created us to be, we, if we lose that perspective, we can get totally inundated with the world's opinions, with other people's opinions of who they think we should be, and we can form our own conclusions based on who we think we should or should not be. And as a result, we can find ourselves trapped, trapped in being overly focused and fixated on the wrong things and living under enormous pressure to be a person we were never meant to be. Which brings me back to Exodus 3 and Moses and his encounter with God because I want to give you a little bit of the backstory, right? Because Moses was born in Egypt and at the time that he was born, there was a threat against all Hebrew boys being born. The Hebrew population had grown to such a point in Egypt that Pharaoh was afraid that the Hebrews would rise up in rebellion if they continued to, uh, to, to grow, and they were out of control, and as they were, they were having more and more kids, and so to control them and keep them in slavery, he instituted an edict that all Hebrew baby boys were to be killed, and so Moses could have been killed, but his mom took a papyrus and, and uh, made, a, made a little, made a little um, 
a little boat, a little basket. And she put that basket in the Nile River among the reeds and hid him and let him go uh, down the, the Nile River, and he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And in a providential moment in Moses' life, that, that Pharaoh's daughter took him as her own son, and so Moses was brought up in a king's palace. He was, he was brought up with great privilege, and, and then there was a bump in the road as he saw his people being mistreated by the Egyptians, his people in slavery, he got angry at it, and he actually killed a man. And Moses did what all of us seem to do when we get in trouble. He started running. And he ran away into the wilderness, into the desert, where Moses has this encounter with God. And God appears to him in a burning bush. And God tells him, in effect, stop running You've been running a long time. I have a plan for you. I've had a plan for you since the beginning. In Exodus 3.10, if we, if we read it one more time, it says, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, check it out, look at it, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? There it is, who am I? Notice the evaluation, the scrutiny, the, the um, insecurity that is coming out of Moses as he has this talk with God. And I, as I read it, I'm like, well, you're the perfect guy. <laughs> you grew up there. <laughs> you know all about it. You know how, they, like, you're the perfect one. You have lived in both worlds. He couldn't see it. His insecurities were too great. What he thought about himself was too damaged. And he didn't believe what God wanted him to do. And, and, I, and I think God always says to us when we feel insecure, he has a go-to line all through the scriptures. And in our lives, when we feel insecure, verse 12, God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. <laughs> and I feel like sometimes God says that to us. We're like, okay, but I don't know. That's not enough. That's what Moses said, because, because let me make a, a little side comment here about verse 12. The more disconnected you are from God, the more disconnected you are from God, the more you'll struggle with your identity. I know some of you are looking at, it's not in my notes. Where is that in my notes? It's just a good sentence. You should just write it down. The more disconnected you are from God, the more you'll struggle with your identity. There's something about that connection with God that defines who you are and how you were made. Because he's the creator. He knows how you were, you were made. The more separated you are from him, the more you'll struggle. Conversely, the more connected you are to him, the more you'll have an anchor in your identity. You'll have a, a settled foundation in your identity. And so verse 12 continues. If we read it, and God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. In other words, you'll come face to face with me. You will come to this moment with me. And that's exactly what ended up happening. Finally, here God is promising it. Now, even though God is speaking to Moses through a burning bush, like a bush is burning and it won't go out and God's speaking to him, he's still not convinced. And so he responds to God with verse 13. Moses said, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Verse 14. 
God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. In, in one sense, I, feel, I find God's response to Moses so funny. Just, just tell those doubters, I am who I am sent you. What? Now, this is meaningful in, in Moses' day because there's a, the Hebrew meaning, I am who I am, or I am what I am, or I will be what I will be, is another way to translate that. I, or another way would be, I create whatever I create. I am self a self-existing God. I am eternal. And in, in a way, he's saying, what I say goes. And that's, that's the secret. There's no beginning and no end to this God. And this is a way of describing it. And so you know what this passage is telling us? Greater than the who am I question, greater than the who am I question, is the statement from God, I am who I am, which means the great I am is greater. We sang about it this morning than any question regarding our identity that we'll ever ask. He's the one who has the answer. You'd think this would be enough for Moses, God speaking through a burning bush, describing his purpose and his mission uh, for Moses that I'm sure Moses understood in a certain sense because that's why he he ended up running because he had tried to punish the Egyptians and 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 keep his people safe but God's reassuring Moses that he would be with him and you think this would be enough but it's not and for the next 22 verses Moses continues to doubt God's purpose and mission for his life, even though God gave him point after point, things that should fully convince him in this conversation to move forward in his God-given identity. Now, I don't know how this strikes you, but for me, I can easily look at this and think, Moses, what in the world? What, what, why can't you figure this out? This seems so obvious. Like, why can't you just believe what God says about you? But then I remember me. Then I remember the way I think. I remember how much convincing it takes for me to believe that God is who he says he is and that he has described me in a way that I can embrace. And I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever seen this kind of thing. Uh, you know, if you've raised a child, you've been through something called potty training. And potty training is no fun. <laughs> Five times in our house. We tried to stop little persons from sitting in their poop. And we use, a, we use a, like a potty training book. You know what I'm saying? Like, like potty training in one day is fantastic. And you, and you do all this stuff. Now, now, Amy became a pretty good potty trainer, right? She, she, like, she like worked with all five of our kids. I worked with them as well. She had more patience than I did. But there's a lot of process in potty training. Like, like there's books and videos and, and there's, there's, there's food and there's treats and there's drink and there's all these rewards just to make them go potty. They're actually songs. They're little songs. I was, I was doing a little research and I looked at all the songs, potty songs. Because I couldn't remember the one, I couldn't remember the ones we we were had has have used over the many years of potty training. It says "I gotta go" is one of them. "I gotta go" that's a song. Uh, there's "Toilet Time is Fun." <laughs> there's something just simply called the poop song. 
<laughs> my favorite, though, was the poo in you. <laughs> but there is an expert. There's an expert that children will listen to. His name is Elmo. And Elmo has this potty song. Kids trust him. Kids trust him. I, I'm just going to read you the words to the Elmo's potty song. It's potty time. Got to get down low. It's potty time just to let it go. It's potty time. Yeah, go with the flow. It's potty time. You can do it. I know. <laughs> there is this thing. When you think of potty training, I think we have the best in mind for our kids. Now, consider it. Would you want them to grow up not being potty trained? If a bunch of you were not potty trained here, it would make life very difficult for you. You would be sitting here in your crap. What I want you to, some of you are like, I'm so offended. He's talking about potty. It's the reality of life. Here's what I'm trying to get through to you. Here's what I want you to get. Here's what I want you to see. God is not interested in you spending your life sitting in your crap. He has so, he has something, he has something so much better for you. But somehow, like little kids, we like want him to do all these ditties and sing these songs and give us stuff and give us rewards. And we, until, and we, we refuse to do what he wants us to do without all that stuff. Shouldn't there be a moment when we understand who we are and who God's created us to be and say, just say yes, okay, whatever you want. Because I believe you have what's best for me. But it takes time to figure that out, doesn't it? And so when you think about how many amazing things God has for us, he wants you to be secure in who you are. He wants you to know how he's created you. He wants you to understand who you really are. And he's the one who can speak to you about it. For Moses, he just wasn't there yet. If you go one chapter ahead, if you go one chapter ahead in Exodus 4.10, not 310, but 410, one chapter ahead. Here the conversation continues. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. <laughs> I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Like, you could tell it's kind of ramping up, right? Like, 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 like God's kind of like, okay, come on, man. I'm trying to convince you. Moses still, verse 13. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. <laughs> Just send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. He'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs and miracles with it. Now, you know, the great thing about God is that God doesn't just work around our insecurities. He works through them. He works through them. He's willing to work through what you think you can't do. And he's willing to compensate and help you, but he doesn't want you compensating for yourself. He's, but he's willing to get right in the middle of it with you and say, okay, I know you think that about yourself, but I'm going to help you discover 
who you really are and what I've created you to be. And so no matter how much we keep resisting God, no matter how much we keep dealing with our insecurities, God keeps working through it with us. And I think there are two responses that are classic to insecurity. First of all, you can be a person who feels insecure, and so you say, I'll show you I'm good enough. I'll be the best. I don't need your help. This is a pride. This, this, is, this is pride. I got it. I got it covered. Sometimes the strongest personality among us seems like they're not insecure, but they can be the most insecure person. They're only uh, compensating. They're overcompensating for the insecurities they feel. So they're more aggressive and more forceful. And if you have this bent, you understand how it shows up in your life. But then some of you deal with insecurity this way. You say, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. Nobody will help me. This is more me. <laughs> my insecurity becomes rejection. I, there's, a, there's a thing that I've had to deal with in my life about rejection. One of my, one of my favorite sayings is, I'm, I never struggle with humility because my self-esteem is just so low. <laughs> it's a joke, all right? Because, because humility is really restrained strength, right? So God wants you to have strength, and he wants you to know how to use it how to honor him and how to honor people, how to serve them. And so for some of you, you have this rejection complex and, and it came into your life through family members or through a bunch of stuff and enduring rejection and, and you don't know how to get anchored and settled and rooted in God's great love for you and you're struggling through it. And soon it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you start projecting rejection on other people and they actually start rejecting you. I think that's the devil's strategy for your life, to keep you stuck in a rejection complex. And I, I want to give you four ways to live more securely right here. Four ways to live more securely. Number one, don't put your security in anything that can't sustain it. Don't put your security in anything that can't sustain it. Do you know why we feel, do you know why we feel like we can't measure up? Because it's true. <laughs> because it's true. It's like the fundamental it's the fundamental understanding of the gospel that this leads to, right? Like, I can't do this alone. The message of Jesus is good news because he's saying you don't have to do this alone because clearly you cannot do it well. And it takes people sometimes a long time to realize, I can't do this, I can't do this on my own. And it's actually an accurate feeling when you, when you don't measure up. It's why you need Jesus, there's a, there's, a, there's a hunger there. Moses is a type and a shadow of God's big story through the scriptures, leading us to a moment when Jesus comes and, and says, I know you feel inadequate. I know you feel like you can't measure up. So I'm giving myself. I came. God sent Jesus to show you what's possible. You know, Jesus lived a life that God wants us to live, a life of surrender, a life of miracles, a life of healing, a life of confidence and courage. The Bible says Jesus only did what his father told him to do. You can see God coming up out of the water in water baptism there in Matthew 3 and in Luke 3, and, and, and he comes out and God speaks over his life and said, this is my son whom I love, and in him I am well pleased. You know what's so cool about that? You know what's so cool about that? He hadn't done a thing in ministry yet. 
that, that was recorded that we know about. He was beginning his ministry, and God already loved him. His father was saying, I like this guy. I'm with him. I'm for him. It's the same thing God wants to say to you. Oh, well, I haven't done any good thing. No, that's not the point. It's not about the doing. It's not about all the things that you got to get right or wrong. It's about who you are. God wants to deal with that first. And the insecurities that are inside you, that's really where we find strength to address all of these feelings and emotions and inadequacies. And that's really where you find a place to anchor your identity, not in what others say about you, not in what uh, you say about you, but in Jesus and what he says about you. Who he is in your life is so important. And when you, when you do that, when you embrace him and he begins to define who you are, you begin to overcome the enemy's strategy of pride or rejection. And to destroy your uh, relationships and, 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 and your emotions, that's what the devil is trying to do. God wants to heal those things. He wants to get rid of the pride and rejection that will destroy those, those relationships. And so you begin to realize... Here's what God wants to say to you. You're not your past. All you teenagers, listen to me. You're not your past. You're not your rejections. You are not the sum total of what has happened in your past. You are not your accomplishments. You are, you are not all the things that you've done. You're not your strengths. You're not your weaknesses. You're so much more significant than that. And God's trying to tell you that. Jesus wants to change everything about your identity. Look at Galatians 2.20 says, indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, Paul says. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Wow, look at that. Well, shouldn't we be trying to impress God? No. You, try, you, you live a life of trying to impress God. You, you want to talk about not measuring up, right? Like, like, like we, we're, we're not trying to impress God. Like, nothing you can do can be, is that impressive. Come on. What he really wants is you to surrender to him, his power flowing through you, so that when you do impressive things, you give him all the glory, and he's like, man, that guy, he, he, that girl, she got it. She gets it. She believes that I am her creator, and I'm the one flowing through her, and she doesn't have to fear anything. She doesn't have to fear anyone because she knows who her father is. Now watch the rest of the verse. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, Paul says, but is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When God sees me, he sees Jesus. That's what this is. This evening, we're going to bat water baptize a bunch of people. All right, we're going to, and, and the idea of going down into the water and coming up is identifying with Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so this is like the epitome, the definition of declaring your identity is water baptism. Because when I'm water baptized, I no longer identify with what I was. I know, I now identify with Christ. I'm not living out of my past. I'm living out of faith. I'm not uh, being defined by my history. I'm actually being defined by what Jesus has done for me. And I'm not afraid of my failures or the foolish decisions I've made because I'm secure in my future with Christ. He has a good purpose and a good plan for me. I'm living my new life in him. That's what water baptism is. 
And so only Jesus, everybody say only Jesus. Only Jesus can sustain you through the ups and the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly, the challenging times in our lives. Number two, being secure. Lean into your weakness to leverage more of God's strength. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 12, verse 9. He said, but he said to me, and he's speaking of Jesus here, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I know this is not really popular in our culture today to identify, to highlight our weaknesses. But you know your weaknesses don't have to be a liability. Your weaknesses don't have to be this thing that just kind of drags you down. It doesn't have to be a source for insecurity. It doesn't have to be something that, that causes you all this pain. It can actually be, here's what Paul's talking about, it can actually be a backdrop for God's power on display. He's arguing it can actually be a place in which God shows himself strong. This is what the Apostle Paul talks about as he goes on with the verse. He says, for my power is made perfect in, what does it say? Can you see it? My power is made perfect, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Do you know what our culture tells us to do when we feel weakness? Here's what, here's, if I just had more information, then I know I could handle it. I just need more information. Sadly, Google has taken the place of God. I just, I just, I just need more information. I, I, do you know the number one, do you know the number one category in the bookstore? I don't know, bookstores. Do you remember what those are? Those are they're like gone. Number one category on Amazon is self-help. Self-help. It's so futile. If I could just get four ways or five ways to do this, or if I could like just have three keys to make this happen, if I could, if I could have ten steps to make my life better, that would be so awesome. You can't do it by yourself. You can't make it happen by yourself. We have this inclination when we find a weakness. We need to overcompensate in our own strength and fix it. Americans love this, right? It's like it's like we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and we can make, we're self-made men and women. It's a lie. You're not strong enough, you don't have the power to fix yourself. You can't. We got an opioid crisis. We got therapy out the wazoo. (laughs) I don't have any problem with, with the correct medication to help people. But when we rely on it, because we're so insecure and so, so lost, I'm, I have nothing against therapy. I, I kind of think everybody needs therapy in our day. You know why? Because we don't have good enough friends anymore. We're so isolated, we struggle. No offense to any of you therapists. I think you're doing great work and we probably, this this is the culture we live in. But honestly, honestly there's, there's a sense in which we're trying to fix ourselves and when that happens, it's so futile. The message of Jesus though is different. He says, I know you're frail. I know you're inadequate. I know you're weak. So why don't you let me show up and be strong for you? Trust in me. Why don't you let me show up and show show you how to live in a new dimension, like a different way of thinking? Last night, we graduated 50 people from Catalyst. 
right? Catalyst 3, 50 graduates went through 15 to 18 months of working together, uh, surrendering to Jesus, working on their history, dealing with their past in a small group of people where they were loved and accepted and could be vulnerable. If I heard it once, I heard it 50 times. I finally found my people. I heard people saying it. I, I know how loved I really am. Like, a, like I, don't, I didn't think I was going to like my group. That's what I heard a lot of that. I didn't think I was going to like my group. Like, but something happened to me in that group of misfits. And I, I've, heard, I've heard people say, I've been so encouraged to open up to God, especially when I opened up to people in my group. Something happened. See, to be accepted and loved as you are, that's what God wants for you. So he can tell you who you are. And you can begin to fulfill the destiny that's in your life. I want to encourage you, if you're feeling insecure about your weaknesses, lean into him. Lean into God. Go to a group. let Let your weaknesses be seen so you can maximize his strength in your life. Let Jesus show up in power right in the middle of it. Number three, submit your self talk. Submit your self talk and thoughts to the truth of God's word. Romans 12, 3 says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. See, a lot of insecurity comes from all these different thoughts that race through our head, through our minds, thoughts that have been placed there because of what others have said to us or what culture has challenged us on or pushes us toward or, or even our own thoughts that torment us as they run through our minds. See, the real battle you and I have to face is these thoughts that run through our minds. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a committee in my head. <laughs> there's a bunch of voices in my head and they, they, have, they call board meetings at just the wrong time. I don't know if you've ever had this. Some people, they, they, they're, they're, the committee's in their head. They, they call a board meeting early in the morning. You wake up, and it's like, uh-oh, this day's going to be awful. Oh, my gosh, I don't know if we're going to be able to handle it. Oh, there's so much today. Oh, my gosh. For some of you, the, the committee calls a board meeting late at night. Late at night, you start thinking. You start hearing those voices. You start hearing all that. Some of those voices are you. Some of those voices are other people. Some of you have been handed scripts by your family, by others, and you're just living it out, and you're letting it dominate the way you think. I'm telling you, we have to push back on it. Last week was Easter Sunday. Let me, t- let me tell you about my world. Easter Sunday, we broke attendance records at one chapel. All these people said yes to Jesus. It was awesome. It was worth celebrating. It was incredible. You know what I was doing Monday morning? I was trying to get out of the committee board meeting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pastor Ross, it's not, I don't know. My, I don't think it's going to last. I, don't, I think it's going to be, a, I, I think you got all kinds of problems. You really got to track these people down. You know, there's, there's all kinds of issues here. I don't I think it was just a, a blip on the screen. You know what I had to do? I had to rid myself. I had to fire all the committee members again. And I had to get rid of them. I had a lady I had a lady in the first service. I told this story, and she said, you know what I do when I just have all those voices in that committee in my head? She said, I start, I start with A, and I go all the way through the alphabet about God's nature and character. 
And she said, so she was just like, I started A, and I started talking about Alpha and Omega. B, the beautiful Savior. C, the creator of all things. D, my defender. E, the excellent one who is over all and in all. And, and by the time she gets to J, the committee has disbanded. You gotta find a way to disband the meeting. And you gotta be able to spot the classic lie of the devil. You're not good enough, you'll never make it. Oh, it's just, uh, it's, just it's, it's not really gonna work this way. You're, you're really, you have no chance. That's the lie. It just comes in different forms. So how do you stop that lie? Well, I think you gotta get the word of God in you. There's this little thing, I've heard about it. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's the daily Bible reading in the one year Bible. We, we at the church, we, we use the Bible in one year with Nicky Gumbel, and, and, and he kind of weaves them all together, and it's a great thing. You can listen to it. You can read it, and, and it's, it's really fantastic. See, you've got to get God's words in you to push back on all that stuff. We need to allow God's word to give us a right view of who we are and a right perspective of God. Here's what the Passion Bible says about Romans 12.3. Here's the the. the the interpretation, the translation here. He says, God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. Instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement. And then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. Finally, number four, focus more on what God is doing in you than what others say or think about you. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead for his reward. Now think about this. Ma Moses had major insecurities, right? He had some bumps. He had some sidebars. He, he even had some major detours in his life. And but Moses is included here in chapter 11 of Hebrews, known across the Bible and across the world as the faith chapter, the hall of faith. Why is he here? Because he kept moving forward. He kept moving forward. What do we say around here? We help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's important that we keep moving forward. He ultimately answered the who am I question by not looking what everyone else was saying, not looking at the treasures of Egypt, by not looking at all the wrong things that he could have been distracted by, but by looking ahead to his reward that God had planned for him. Listen, have, how you answer the who am I question is so significant, not just for you. We're not just talking about your insecurities here. We're talking about your legacy. We're talking about your future. We're talking about your spouse, your future spouse. We're talking about your kids. We're talking about your family. We're talking about your coworkers. We're talking about your friends. All of this comes and is affected by your answer to this question. Who am I? And that's why over the next few weeks, I want you to dig in. Stop worrying so much about what everybody else thinks of you. And start thinking about what God is doing in your life. And, and let him lead you and guide you. Stop, stop dabbling in those poor decisions and the reality uh, 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 that you're creating for yourself. Because the truth is, people are, not, <laughs> people are not thinking about you as much as you're thinking about you. <laughs> 
That's what my mom told me in junior high. Still true today. I want you to be concerned not about what others are doing or thinking, but about what God is doing. Close your eyes and bow your heads. We're going to come to the Lord's table. And we're going to come to this table because it is the place where you can exchange what you have for what God has. It is the place that gives us an understanding that you can be healed and whole because of the bread representing the body, his broken body, so you could be healed. It's this place where the cup represents the blood of Jesus that forgives you of every sin, that wipes away your past, that deals with all the wounded yesterdays of your life. This table has a divine exchange that God's interested. He's willing to make. He wants wants to give you all that he is. And what he wants from you is just to surrender all that you are. It's an exchange, your identity for his. Embrace his identity today. Father, we come to this table now. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to direct us and lead us. Even as we come to this table and you've invited us here, we invite you in. We're amazed at this exchange, Lord. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. But, Lord, we look to you and we want you to forgive us for being so consumed with ourselves. Forgive us for chasing our identity all around and maybe insisting on our own way instead of your way. Forgive us. We want to turn towards you now. We want to turn to you, and we we want to accept this divine exchange you're willing and ready to give us. Lord, have your way in my life. Lead me right now. We pray this together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find info about groups, teams, and other things happening at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. Have a great week.